Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. God's plan has always been to unite us with Himself and other believers through His Son. Our new life comes with a calling that urges us to radically love others in new ways. Join us as we go through the book of Ephesians in this sermon series called Unimaginable. Amen. Well, good morning. Morning. Uh, My name is Cole Ellerbrock. I'm the uh, community groups director here. And I just want to say from the beginning that it's, it's an honor to get to be with you, to be with the family of God and to open up uh, God's word together. My hope and prayer for our time together is that God's word would really just transform uh, our hearts and our desires so that we can be a people uh, that have a radical focus on Jesus and who love him and seek to honor him with all of our lives. Uh, We're going to be continuing our series in Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 21 of chapter 5 today. Uh, I'm going to read actually just uh, the the first verse of our passage in a second, and then uh, we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. It's Paul writing. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for the incredible truths that we see in the book of Ephesians. Um, How you have uh, uh, documented in that book our identity that we are people who are loved by God, cherished by you, accepted by you, and that you have laid out good works for us to to walk in as your people, as the people of God, and as as, uh, the family of God, we do that together. Lord, as we open uh, your word in Ephesians 5, I pray that you would uh, transform our hearts, God. Uh, Speak to us today. Uh, We want to be a people that love you, and walk in your ways and honor you in all of our lives. Now, if you would, if you're willing, uh, just take a moment and pray for yourself. Uh, just sit before the Lord for a little bit in the quietness of your own heart and just ask that the Lord would, uh, would speak to you uh, and, and transform you today. Uh, well, Father, we, uh, we trust you. Thank you so much for your word. We honor you today with our time together. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to start things off by telling you about the very first few days of my time uh, as a freshman in college. Uh, I attended Texas A&M and, all right, wow. Even after last night, still got some whooping, I love it. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I attended A&M and, and what happens when you are a freshman at A&M, uh, they put on this little getaway camp for incoming freshmen called fish camp and fish camp can be a bit difficult to describe, uh, because it's kind of like you're willingly uh, signing yourself up to be uh, brainwashed in a sense by juniors and seniors in college. But for an excited young Aggie, this is a very exciting couple days, uh, because the purpose of fish camp is to turn you from a nervous 
young Aggie into, as we say, uh, a member of the Fighting Texas Aggie class of 2015, right? Uh, wow, all right, another 2015er in here, I guess. And now, I promise uh, this morning is not just going to be a plug for A&M, but that the story is going somewhere. Uh, but over the three days of this camp, you get a maroon t-shirt with big, bold A&M letters put on you. You learn the songs that we sing at football games. You learn what the Aggie honor code is. You learn how to two-step, because that's important in a place like College Station. Uh, you learn about the campus and understanding your schedule. You learn to love, you know, whether against your will or not, country music, because again, that's important in College Station. Uh, you hear about the history of the school and how our sports teams are just guaranteed to cause you some emotional damage in your life, but you're still going to love them anyways, right? But fish camp, it's this fun three days, and you get to make some new friends going into your freshman year, which is great. Uh, but what is meant to be sort of the uh, kind of big, ultimate sort of emotional crux of the camp happens on the last night, just like all great camp experiences. Uh, the counselors, they walk you out to this lake and uh, they hand you a rock and a Sharpie. And then they huddle up your cabin together and your counselor says something like, uh, hey guys, uh, I want you to know that whatever has happened to you uh, or whatever has happened in your life up to this point, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, you hated high school, that's okay. Because you're now a part of the Aggie family. And in college, you can be whoever your little heart desires to be. So what I want you to do is I want you to take this rock and write down, uh, throw that rock, things that you either hated about high school or didn't like about yourself in high school, and then throw that rock in the lake and let it go. Now, my first thought uh, instantly was like, well, counselor, I'm probably going to need a little bit bigger of a rock uh, to write down all the things that went wrong in high school. Uh, but you take a moment, and I write down sort of, you know, whatever I had on my mind at the time. And then my counselor comes up to me, and he puts his arm around me, and kind of in like a big, deep voice says, hey, Cole, let the past be the past, man. You're an Aggie now. So take that rock, throw it in the lake. So I took my rock, and I threw it in the lake, and said, yes, sir, Mr. Aggie, thank you so much. Uh, and from there on out... The idea is that you have now immersed yourself in uh, your new identity. You're now familiar with the new family that you belong to and the area that you're now a part of. So now going into your first semester, you can begin to imitate the ways of an Aggie, using the right language, knowing your way around, following the school honor code, etc. Now I start there because we have been making our way through studying this book of Ephesians. And in chapter five, Paul is going to remind us of the fact or, or the truth that in Christ, you have a new identity. You're a part of a new club, you're in a new family. So now you gotta learn to talk the talk and walk the walk. You've gotta familiarize yourself with this new landscape you're in and become someone uh, who lives out this identity in all aspects of your life. Fish camp is in place to immerse yourself in your new identity so that you can live out the ways of being an Aggie. Ephesians 5 is devoted to the ex exact same thing, reminding you of your identity so you can now be an imitator of God. This is what Paul says, uh, like we just read earlier, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
You'll notice he starts with the word therefore, referring back to what he has previously written. So what has Paul previously written? He's written about God's mercy. Because of what God has done for you that that Paul has outlined in the first few chapters of this book, in other words, by, by therefore, what Paul is saying is because you are in Christ, because God has redeemed you, forgiven you, sealed you with the Spirit, reconciled us as one in Christ, because Jesus Christ has died for you and forgiven you, because of all that, be an imitator of God. That's the whole point of chapter five and the point of today's message. Be an imitator of God. Paul says, don't let all of this amazing doctrine that I've just shared with you remain strictly uh, in your minds on the inside. But the fact that you have been brought into a relationship with God should now influence your behaviors and your actions, so imitate him. Well, to imitate someone or something, uh, it requires a couple things. It requires a familiarity with that person and then also a desire to become like that person. And as Ephesians 2 says, we have been raised up uh, to new life in Christ and that our old self is gone. And it's now as if we are sort of living in a new country where we have to learn uh, the landscape, the language, the culture. So we as Christians, we familiarize ourselves with the person of God. We learn and absorb his language, the scriptures. We, uh, we consume ourselves with the cultural values of the kingdom. We study our God. We immerse ourselves in him in order to imitate who he is and what he's like with our behaviors. Uh, if you think of just some of the certain great actors of our time, people like Robert De Niro, um, Kate Winslet, Uh, Christian Bale, uh, are famous for their desire to fully embody uh, the characters in which they are portraying. So much so uh, that oftentimes people on set don't know whether they're really in character or not, even if they're off screen. So these actors, they will for months uh, pour over the script. They'll tinker with their voice. They'll labor over line after line after line, you know, thinking through this character would move his hands like this at this moment. He'll uh, have this facial expression to react to that line, or they'll go to a higher pitch of voice in this moment. They study all the ins and outs of their character so that when the cameras are rolling, they can fully uh, inhabit that person. So to imitate God, is to first immerse ourselves in him. Constantly reading uh, his scriptures, looking at the gospels and intently studying the person of Jesus Christ. We see that uh, he reacts to this person in this way, or God uses to uh, use these specific words at this uh, certain time, or he embodies these values. He chooses to speak or to not speak in this interaction. So to be an imitator of God, uh, we study him, we are consumed with him because we have this desire now as children of God, to act like him. Now, it's important to note that uh, after Paul says to be imitators of God, he follows it up by saying that we do this as beloved children. Uh, This is great imagery here given by Paul, and and I think he tells us to to imitate God as beloved children for a couple reasons. Uh, First of which, it's a reminder of what your primary identity is. That before you imitate, you are first and foremost a child of God. Uh, The good news of Jesus Christ is that through his death 
and through his uh, resurrection that he uh, offers us new life to be brought into his family as a free gift, that you are loved, you are accepted, you are forgiven, and now you have this identity. This happens before you imitate. You don't have to live like God or be this perfect person to earn God's favor. That's actually the opposite of the gospel. But you are first and foremost a beloved child of God by by no amount of works, by no merit of your own. And then you imitate. There's a reason that Paul gives this command in chapter five of Ephesians and not in chapter one, right? Now secondly, I think Paul tells us we are beloved children uh, to demonstrate to us that the imitation of God is in fact a process. It doesn't just happen in a moment. A simple illustration for those of you who have kids. I'll just ask you, uh, in a single day or in a single moment, does your child become perfectly obedient, uh, perfectly mature, do everything that you ever ask of them, uh, suddenly become nice to their siblings and do all of their chores with a smile on their face? Does that happen in just an instant, right? Now, I know at the age of 30 that I'm not all those things, right? I still complain about doing my chores, uh, let alone as a child. But similarly for a person, how physical growth and social or emotional maturation is, is a process, so too is the imitation of God a process. It's not as if you snap your fingers one day and you're this you know, perfectly mature Christian. It's this process of knowing God more deeply and more intimately, where you become more familiar uh, with him while having your desires uh, be shifted from your, your own of self-gratification and have your desires shifted to those of God. It's this process in which God transforms you. Quick plug for community groups, that's all that we're talking about this semester, if you haven't gotten to be a part of one. Uh, but like a young child is trying to walk for the first time, uh, they're going to have some wobbly legs. They're going to fall at times. They're going to need the help of their parents' hands from time to time. They're going to have to undergo some growth and, and then build up with practice to be a stable walker. Same is true in our imitation of God. We fail uh, to imitate God in all the ways that we should, and we're going to have some missteps along the way. We're going to get some wobbly legs in navigating this new country uh, that we belong to. But praise be to God that as his beloved children, our primary identity, that his grace is ever present for us when we fail, and he's willing and ready and able uh, to, to pick us up and to help us become more like the person he's designed you to be. Now, as I describe this, uh, the imitation of God, the thought may have crossed your mind, how do I imitate God? That sounds like kind of a high bar, right? I don't know if any of us have tried being uh, almighty or omnipresent or eternal lately, but it's a little bit difficult to do, right? Uh, well, the truth is, there's many ways that we cannot be like God. So how do we do it? Well, in verses 2 through 21, uh, Paul is going to give us the answer. And here's the key. Here's what Paul is going to say is, is sort of how you walk as an imitator. It's you watch the way that you walk. 
Paul is going to use the word walk three times in this passage. And each, of, each time he uses it shows us a way of how we walk uh, or how we can imitate God. The first of which that he tells us to do is that we walk in love. This is verse uh, two, chapter five, verse two. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where you walk, um, as you go, as you move through life, wherever that may be, Paul says, go in love. That love is what is to characterize the life of a Christian. And why do we do this? Because Christ first loved us. He gave himself up for us, sacrificed himself in our place on our behalf. So we, uh, we receive God's love and then we go and give God's love. And this, I think we can all agree, this should just come naturally, right? Like as children of God, uh, we belong to a family where self-giving love is of the highest value. It's at the top of the family values chart, right? So as we experience this intimate relationship with God, we then in turn give away uh, our love, our time, our talents, our service, our efforts away to others. And that should just be a natural response. I give and I sacrifice for the sake of building up and helping out others. As I said earlier, the best way to imitate God is to be familiar with him. So how do we see him love? Uh, Well, to name just a few, Uh, Jesus in the Gospels, we see him do things like kneel down and wash the dirty feet of his friends. We see him uh, listening and having compassion for uh, this woman he met at a well who was of a different background and a different culture and who had been cast aside by many different husbands year after year. Uh, We see him as a king who was willing to weep with his friends when they lost their brother. We see Jesus stand up for children and say things like, let children come to me and don't hinder them because it's to them that the kingdom of God belongs to. We see Jesus draw close to those who are outcasts and he stands up for those who are marginalized or, or those who are bullied. He walks in love. And so we too walk in love. I remember in May of 2021, right before my wife and I moved to Houston, I got in a really bad bicycle accident and I had to have surgery and couldn't really move around well. And at the time of the accident, we were in the process of moving from Austin and without really even asking, a group of friends who follow Jesus just suddenly kind of showed up to our apartment to help clean it out and to get it ready for moving. There were people literally on their hands and knees uh, scrubbing our bathroom and loading up boxes, that sort of thing. I think we can all agree that, you know, helping someone move is like the highest form of love, right? (laughs) And this group just did it. We didn't really ask them to. They just took the initiative and said, hey, we are here uh, to to sacrifice our time, our efforts, our talents, our our bathroom scrubbing abilities to help you. Why? Because Christians are marked by love. Sacrificing, it's what we do. Then Paul is gonna continue how to walk in love by actually addressing a few specific hindrances to being people of love. This is verses uh, three through six. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. 
Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He says, for the person who is seeking to imitate God, there's no place for things like sexual immorality or coveting or greed or speech that tears down. But in fact, those who are rebelling against God walk in these things, but it should not be so of the believer. Right after he tells us to uh, walk in love, if you look at each of these actions that Paul lines out in these verses that he tells us to avoid, each of them is a reduction of love or or a twisted version of love that is driven by self-gratification, not self-sacrifice. So sex, as he outlines, is this gift that has been given to us by God that is meant to be enjoyed as this incredible act of love and self-giving to another within the context of marriage. But far too often, it's a gift that is twisted and reduced to something that is self-serving, where all that is desired is personal pleasure. That's why things like uh, pornography and sexual abuse and sex trafficking run rampant today. He talks about coveting, this burning desire to uh, possess, to have more for the sake of accumulation. Like sexual immorality, uh, coveting is driven by this desire for self-gratification. Some commentators uh, talk about this like it's just this uncontrolled appetite, just constantly searching for more and more for a little hit of pleasure. To covet is not to love, but again, to to self-serve, not self-give. And then he points out crude speech, that words are incredibly powerful and While this tool that we have of a tongue we possess can be used for great good and healing, Paul recognizes it can also be used for great damage. What should be used for thanksgiving and building up far too often is used for crude joking and gossip and destruction. So a question I think we have to ask ourselves today is, is love the mark of your life? Paul says that Jesus walking in love, uh, in verse two, was like a fragrance to God the Father. And if we are to be a people who move in love, it's like a sweet, sweet fragrance or aroma that we give off that blesses people and that heaven rejoices in. So he says the first thing you do to imitate God is you walk in love. And secondly, he says you walk in light. This is verses seven through 14, uh, if you're following along in your Bible. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them, uh, who he was just referring to. Uh, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine 
on you. So first we walk in love, and then we walk in light. The emphasis here in this section about light is on what is right and true and holy. We live in accordance with God's word. Purity, uh, conviction, godliness, truth are what are to characterize that. Our love uh, does not come at the sacrifice of truth, but rather we have a love that is uh, informed by God's truth and that upholds God's design and his ways. So as we live as light, we expose the things that are dark and we work to reveal them uh, for what they really are. So we don't stand for injustice. We don't stand for uh, the bullying or abuse of those who are vulnerable or marginalized. We don't stand for the abuse of things like God's gift of sex. And we don't stand for the abuse of speech. Light exposes that which is dark so that it can then be dealt with. Uh, This is why, uh, for me at least, going to the dentist can be difficult. You can typically hide your cavities and all the candy and ice cream that you eat because you're typically not running around showing off your mouth, right? Be a little weird. But when you get to the dentist, they say, open up and a spotlight shines into your mouth and all of your brushing and flossing habits are instantly revealed. And if you're like me, you typically hear the words, uh, Cole, you've really been eating a lot of Bluebell lately, haven't you? Uh, But this trip to the dentist It can be a painful experience, but it's done so so that it might expose that which is dark and be dealt with appropriately, and you can move on a path toward healing. Now, for the Christian, Jesus says that we are the light of the world and that we don't walk in darkness. So we uphold God's design in his ways, and as we walk, we expose that which is evil. But remember, we're also a people who are filled with, with love, so that we can move into dark places, expose that which is wrong, and offer redemption and healing to that which is broken. So what does it mean to imitate God? We take on his heart of love, and we walk in that, and we take on his light, we walk in that. And then finally, Paul says, uh, to be an imitator of God, we walk in wisdom. This is verses 15 through 21. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says, walk as the wise do. Don't live as fools, but seek the Lord's will. Fill up uh, your mind with the things of God. Don't just seek out pleasure from wine, but actually to be wise is to be someone who is filled with the Spirit. Uh, Many scholars will say that a better way to translate that phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is something more like, be being filled continually with the Spirit. In other words, this is something that happens over and over, day after day, 
minute after minute, setting your mind and your heart on the things of God. As a reminder, as as believers, we are people who are sealed with the Spirit of God, who have the Spirit uh, indwelling us. Then Paul says here, now now go be filled with him. Have this conscious uh, awareness of the presence of God, that wherever I walk, I am empowered to live as someone of love and light and wisdom. That's the key to wisdom, is to be spirit-filled. And as you do that, as you live this spirit-empowered life, what happens? Well, it says so uh, in these verses that you start to bless people. You bless others, you bless the Lord with your words, with your actions, you address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're filled with the joy of the Lord and the joy of his people, and so you sing. You have open hands of gratitude for what God has done for you. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is walking in wisdom. That is being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Final application for our time this morning. As we grow in our familiarity and uh, the imitation of our God, what you have to do is you have to look at God's most heroic act. What was that? It was the cross. The imitation of God is uh, the invitation to live the way of the cross. At the cross, Jesus walked in pure, sacrificial love. He walked in light, he walked in love, he walked in wisdom, he had love for his father and accomplishing his will, he had love for his enemies, and he had love for each of you. He was wise. He walked in the power of the Spirit, did his ministry in the power of the Spirit and to fulfill all that the Lord had laid out for him. He didn't have to walk in this manner. You know, he's, he's God Almighty. Why would he die a humiliating death uh, like that of a common criminal? Love was propelling him to carry the cross. Ephesians 2 says, because of uh, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. And in doing so, Jesus, who is the light of the world uh, and was walking in light, he took us, who are a people who were running in darkness, and as the scriptures say, he transferred us from the domain of darkness and into his kingdom of light. So that, as the Gospel of John says, we might no longer walk in darkness, but rather with the light of life. Jesus lived the way of the cross, surrendered everything to be a person of love and light and wisdom. And so the question that I think we need to answer or reflect on today is simply this. Who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? you are going to imitate someone or something. You're gonna imitate that which you immerse yourselves in and what you familiarize yourself with. I'm sure for those of you who have kids, you've noticed at moments that your young child imitates you at uh, different moments, maybe for better or for worse at times. So for you, uh, do you find yourself imitating the ways of this world? Uh, where things like financial success are what is most important or where personal self-gratification is of the highest value, 
And so you do things just like accumulate more and more stuff just for a quick little hit of pleasure. Or maybe you find yourself using speech that tears down others just to try and build yourself up a little bit. Or you find yourself being someone who's constantly just kind of driven by hatred because hatred is just kind of the highest value in the world right now. And so you curse people who just have a different opinion than you. Or do you recognize the ways of this world and you see your personal need for, your dependence upon Jesus and you say, I'm going the way of the cross. I'm gonna be an imitator of God. I'm gonna walk in wisdom. I'm gonna walk in love. I'm gonna walk in light, even if it might be in the midst of a culture that doesn't understand it or doesn't value it. I wanted to share a story uh, that's documented in uh, Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. I read this book a couple months ago, and as, as I was reading this story, I instantly uh, bookmarked it. This is what Philip Yancey writes. I encourage you to just kind of tune in here. It's, it's a little bit long. But Philip says this. He says, one of Jesus's stories about grace made it into three different gospels in slightly different versions. My favorite version, though, appeared in another source entirely. The Boston Globe's account in June 1990 of a most unusual wedding banquet. Here's the Globe's account. Accompanied by her fiance, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered the meal. The two of them poured over the menu. They made selections of china and silver and pointed to pictures of the flower arrangements that they liked. They both had expensive taste and the bill came to about $40,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as a down payment, the couple then went home to flip through books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. When his angry fiance returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. Same thing happened to me, honey, she said and told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund of the money, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. So you've got two options. Uh, You can forfeit the rest of the down payment, or you can go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. Now it seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. You see, 10 years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. And now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in the June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to chicken cordon bleu in honor of the groom, she said, and sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens who were propped up uh, by crutchers and aluminum walkers. Homeless ladies, uh, beggars, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. Here's Jesus in Luke 14, 
verses 12 to 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I'll be honest, um, I don't know if the woman in that story is a follower of Jesus or not. But what I do know is that for followers of Christ, we leverage whatever our circumstances are to reflect the heart of our King. He has laid out good works for us to walk in them that imitate his character and his behavior. So the invitation that I hope you would accept today is to be an imitator of our God, to live the way of the cross, where every single part of us is submitted to and surrendered to the will of God. And no matter how you might be treated, you walk in love, where you lift up uh, or where you light up the truths of God to the world and you're someone who's filled with the spirit walking in wisdom. Fish camp many years ago, uh, the old person I had been was gone and I got a maroon t-shirt put on me with some big, bold school letters because I had a new identity. So I then lived in those ways. For the Christian, the old you is gone, crucified with Christ, in fact. And so you now put on your new clothing, your new t-shirt, where with big, bold letters on the chest, it says, imitator of God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, um, we thank you that you have first loved us. That we, we couldn't do anything to, to earn your favor. We couldn't do anything to earn such a great salvation. But you came running to us. You first loved us. You walked in love. You walk in light. And you walk in wisdom. Father, I pray that first and foremost that we would uh, today recognize that we're your beloved children, that we would be recipients of your love. We would be recipients of your truth and your wisdom. And then Father, would you empower us to be your imitators that go forth and change the world by your grace and by your power. We know you, we need your help to do that. And, would, and we know that it, before uh, we go do any, any great work or anything, um, it, it, starts, it starts with the heart. It starts with us having a desire that, that yearn for you and that yearn for your kingdom to come and that yearn to know you more and more and yearn to be uh, transformed by you.
So God, we, we worship you. <laughs> we wanna say that we love you and we wanna honor you with our lives. I now wanna invite each of you uh, to stand uh, if you're able. And we're gonna have a time to respond to the Lord, to respond to the great love with which he has loved us. We have our prayer team up here and uh, I just wanna say they, they would love to pray with you guys. This, this, is, uh, this can be a really beautiful moment uh, of ministry and, and brothers and sisters coming together to meet with the Lord together. So if there is anything uh, that you want to, that's just kind of on your mind or your heart or that you either want uh, a, a prayer for or you just want to come meet with someone to, to kind of praise God together, I want to encourage you, you're, you're going to have some time here to, to come do that. But wherever you are, wherever um, you, you're at kind of during this time, I want to encourage you to just engage with God. The band's going to play quietly for um, a little bit before we start our final song. And I want to encourage you, uh, whatever posture you need to be in, whatever you need to do with your hands or your eyes or however you want, you want to sit, stand, whatever it may be, praise God and use this time to engage with him. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.